Grammar was never my greatest thing, I would say, but, um, and probably we would complain that young people these days don't learn grammar, but a verb for me was always uh, adjectives were describing words and verbs were doing words. But how many verbs are there? How many kinds of verbs are there? If you just take a quick glance, as I did through my mind, I came up with auxiliary verbs, lexical verbs, dynamic verbs, stative verbs, finite verbs, non-finite verbs, regular verbs, irregular verbs, transitive verbs, intransitive verbs, causative verbs, copular verbs, performative verbs. Goodness, I just thought they were doing words. Verbs. In our house... And in fact, when I lived in halls, I was known to make the odd word up. We will be somewhere and I'll just come up with a word. Might be an adjective to describe the girls, or it might be a doing word, or it might be just a shedongadin, which became a word that I've kind of taken the challenge to maybe get it into the English language at some point. It was one of those words in a township somewhere where something went wrong and Stockman shouted, shedongadin! And it became one of those words that staff continue to use long after I've left the staff. So this week I thought I would come up with a new theological verb. Born right now. The compelling verb. The compelling verb. We had a tear fund evening just a few Sunday nights ago. Unfortunately, not many of you were there, so I can repeat. Um, I was thinking of a way to describe the double reflex of grace and faith. So the Radiator Blues Band, our very own, sang a song by John Mayer that I think um, probably Claire and Laura maybe have sung, maybe not in Fitzroy, but they certainly sing it. It might have been in Fitzroy one morning. And John Mayer, I'm not a big fan, by the way, of his life or his music, but um, he has this song called Love is a Verb, and he says, when you show me love, I don't need your words. Yeah, love ain't a thing, love is a verb. Love ain't a thing, love is a verb. When you show me love, I don't need your words. And he wasn't singing about the church there. So out of that, I spoke about this double reflex. I suppose today, if you've got a new verb, the compelling verb, you've got almost a new sort of theological definition here. want to take you back to the Commonwealth Pool in the summertime in Glasgow. I want to take you to um, one of those races which is, well, take the 100 meters. And I'm not a big swimming fan either. I'm talking about all the things I'm not a big fan of today. But I do like that moment in the 100 meters, especially in a fast race, where they get to the end of the 50, and they have to touch the wall and come back. Because if you watch that, and of course now with all the great video possibilities, we can see it underwater, you see something happening that actually is two things in one movement. They've got to hit the wall to get themselves legally right, because if they don't hit the wall, they're disqualified. But hitting the wall for a swimmer is actually something that could get in the way of winning the race. So they've got to hit the wall, and they've got to kick themselves back off that wall at the same time in what I call 
a double reflex. It's one movement. If they do it well, it really is one movement. You wouldn't know the difference between the one and the other. Maybe the winners are the ones who do that double reflex the best. They hit, they kick off. And so with grace. Grace is a verb. It's a compelling verb. Grace is a double reflex. You can't hit the wall and receive God's grace and do one movement. It doesn't work like that. Grace is not the moment where you hit the wall and go, ah, I am saved forever. Let me languish here in the security of my hitting the wall. Grace is the double reflex where when you receive the grace of God, it is an immediate response, an immediate double reflex of the one movement where being given grace, you immediately become a grace giver. Grace is a verb. And now let's develop the compelling part of it. We are following in this series, if you maybe hadn't noticed, we're still in the series this morning, a book by Mark Green called Fruitfulness on the Frontline. He gives six M's of how we can be more fruitful where our front lines are during the week or even on a Sunday, Saturday, everywhere we are as a front line. And we've, we've looked at some of those already, um, modeling godly character and making good work. And today the third one is ministering grace and love. And in a fascinating way, um, the very chapter I used or the very parable I used that night of Tearfun when I was talking about a double reflex is the passage of scripture that Mark Green uses most in the chapter he has on ministering grace and love. And when we look at what Gary read, and we only read half of that particular parable, I hope you noticed your Fitzroy. Of course you noticed. But I want you to think about this. When I was in chaplaincy, and we used to read this passage, um, being grace-dominated in my ministry, Um, You would come to this passage and you would think, is this a contradiction? Because basically what it seems to suggest is, do you want to know who's going to heaven? The people that are going to heaven are the people who give a drink to somebody, who give food to somebody, who um, give clothes to somebody, who visit people. The people going to heaven, the sheep, are the people who have done works. Is that what this is saying? Well, if you don't have an understanding of the double reflex, you maybe could take it that way. But once you understand the double reflex of grace, you realize that this is us kicking back off the wall. These are the actions of grace that someone who's received grace will do. That's the first thing to notice about this passage that Gary read. These are acts of grace. Did the thirsty person merit being given water? Did the hungry person merit being given something to eat? Did the stranger merit being invited in? Did the naked person merit being given clothes? Did the person who was sick or in jail merit in their own goodness that somebody would respond to them? 
No, they didn't. These are all acts of grace. And as I've already said, these are the outworkings of the compelling grace that we as believers have. This is the second movement of the double reflex. Here's the key lines for me, certainly, this morning in this passage. Verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? Verse 38. When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? Verse 39. When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The thing about this parable that's most amazing is the people who are sheep and are doing the double reflex, the second part of it, don't even know they're doing it. What are you talking about? When did we do these things? Because when they've received grace, it's such a natural consequence of that double reflex that we are compelled by the fruit of the Spirit within us to go about doing these acts of grace. Green goes on in his chapter about Jesus didn't have to heal people or give sight to the blind. Jesus didn't have to feed the 5,000. Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. Jesus didn't have to. But grace compelled God and compelled Jesus to act because grace is not a passive idea. Grace is a verb. Grace is a compelling verb. And if we don't have the second reflex, then I think we're into the letter of James. Chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by, accompanied by actions, is dead. Do you see what James is saying? James is saying that if we touch the wall and receive grace and faith and believe, but don't have the second part of the double reflex, it is a faith that is dead. Indeed, in this translation in the New International, can such a faith save us? Faith in theological thinking without a double reflex of action? Nothing to do with the gospel. Faith in coming to church every Sunday morning without a double reflex of action? Nothing to do with the gospel. Faith in a modern worship revival but not worked out in action? Nothing to do with the gospel. I remember being in Cape Town, Jars of Clay, uh, the band were singing and we all went to the gig and I had the privilege of going out to meet the guys before it and we were chatting about some of these things and during the, during the gig, um, Dan, the lead singer, uh, um, 
he, he sort of whipped up a South African audience. They're a bit, I'm sorry, Americans, you get very excited about things. You know, you run sort of five meters or five yards in American football and you just go completely buck daft. You're nowhere near the line, but there's a bit of cheering and getting on that's just unbelievable. And this South African crowd were a bit like that. He was whipping them up and, and they were talking about the new worship movement. And he was saying there's a new worship movement across the world and everybody was going daft. It was like American football. And, and, um, and then he would say, and that movement is uh, coming across South Africa as well. And they were going, yes! And everybody was whipping it up. They were all going mad. And he says, and, and tonight we're, we're sensing some of that worship in here. And they were getting more and more happening. And then he said, and, and we... We're waiting. We're waiting to see if this is a movement of God. We're waiting. Because if this is a movement of God, he went on, then we will see the townships changed. We will see Christians being involved on the streets. We will see a social justice like we've never seen before. If this new worship movement is of God, we will see it in action. So we're waiting. He made his point. Faith without works is dead. You cannot have the grace of God coming into your life without the other part of the double reflex. Green goes on about unpacking this compelling grace. How does that work itself out this week? Well, he uses two words particularly, forgiveness and generosity. Forgiveness and generosity. As we come back off that wall and we begin to live this reborn, new creation, life of the believer, forgiveness and generosity will become a natural part of who we are. Where on our front lines can we show forgiveness and generosity? Let's think of a couple that are a little more objective. This morning in generosity, I am excited, and if you can be as a minister, a little bit proud of a check that we've just handed over now. Let's face it, Gareth's wise enough not to cash that check because it's, you know, it's a photograph. But also Gareth and Michael and Flo are compelled by session and committee to get that check to Richard in the near future so that we will be involved in this school. That is a generosity. When we celebrated Fitzroy 200 just last November, and that moving that I will never forget, where you came forward and put your contributions in the basket, for not only what's going on around us here, but what's going to happen now in Uganda. It was moving, and many of us wept tears that particular day. Generosity for other people. Generosity we want to give to the people of Uganda who've been through all of those different wars and the poverty and all the neglect that maybe the West has given them. We want to be generous. And the double reflex from Matthew chapter 25 is right there. When we see kids that have no education, our generosity, the compelling grace of God within us says, we want to be generous in Uganda. 
forgiveness. What does a new Belfast look like? What does Belfast at peace with itself look like? Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, listen as a Sinn Féin representative and then a little bit later in the evening as an Alliance representative, tell you what our politicians think about Belfast at peace with itself. But coming out of this building today, the compelling verb of grace says that we are a people who will forgive. We are a people who will be generous to our enemies. This is the double reflex. This is what we kick off the wall to do in our new born-again lives. We become those who are forgivers and those who are generous of spirit in a divided city. But what about our families? What about our neighborhoods? What about our places of work? What about those situations that we will come across this week? Will we live the compelling verb of grace through our lives to be forgivers and to be generous? What could it be that we need to forgive? And where in the week that is ahead can we be lavishly generous Not because we have to be, but because the compelling verb of grace sends us into it. In another fascinating twist of seeming coincidence, Philip Yancey has just released a book called Vanishing Grace, What Happened to the Good News? I think in my glance and read at some of the passages of it this last few days, this is a significant book for the church at this part of history. As the world turns away from a church that has compelling verb of grace because it's cold, judgmental, arrogant, and self-righteous, Philip Yancey is asking this, how can Christians, where do you hear the first line? How can Christians offer grace in a way that is compelling in a jaded society? And how can they make a difference in a world of such wrenching need? Vanishing Grace, Whatever Happened to the Good News, is a milestone book for all those who are striving to make sense of their faith and to live it out amid the changing landscape of our day. Philip explores how Christians may have contributed to hostility towards them by presenting the gospel in ways that come across as strident and judgmental. Then he explores what kind of news is good to a culture that thinks it has rejected the Christian version. And finally, he offers illuminating stories of how faith can be expressed in ways that disarm even the most cynical critics through pilgrims, activists, and artists rather than through preachers, evangelists, and apologists. And basically what Yancey is saying is, our mission to this world today will not be through the preachers, the evangelists, or the apologists, much as I'm hoping there might be room for at least one of those left in the world. If we're going to make an impact, it's actually much more simple than that. It will be the compelling verb of grace into a world that is desperately hungry for love and grace. 
that will change the cynic back to thinking that this which we get up for, get dressed for, came out for, and have gone through for the last one hour and 15 minutes has got anything to say to the world that we live in. On the front line this week, my generosity, my forgiveness, my kick off the wall where I thank God for his amazing grace in my life because it was the only thing I had to kick off that wall and to live his grace in our world will be the thing that the future of Christianity in this city depends upon. Brent is no longer with us sitting down there, but he doesn't like to be away in spirit. So yesterday, he Facebooked a Desmond Tutu quote. And Tutu said this, Do your little bit of good where you are. It's those bits of good put together that overwhelm the world. Can I say this series has excited me because every Sunday that I've done it, I've looked out and thought about where you are tomorrow. And as I've looked out and thought about where you all are tomorrow, I've just did that imagining as you go out through those doors and you take modeling godly character, making good work, and ministering love and grace onto the streets of this city. Do you know the bit of the much of this city we cover tomorrow? It excites me. It gives me a vision of what a small congregation in the city center of Belfast can do for our city and the world. Can I urge you to have that compelling verb firing by the Holy Spirit within your life because if each one of us does our little bit of good where we are, it's those Fitzroy bits of good together that can overwhelm this city tomorrow. May it be so. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for grace the compelling verb at the heart of the Trinity that sent Jesus to be born, to live, to die, to be raised to life. Lord, we come dependent on that compelling grace of God. But we're aware that as we receive it, and maybe need to receive it in a practical way afresh this very moment. As we receive it and recognize it's not about us. It's not about what the world thinks of us. It's not about what we've achieved. It's not about whoever likes us. It's not about how perfectly we've lived. It's about your grace. We are precious in your sight. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus, children that can call God Abba, loved as we are. Lord, as we receive it, we're aware 
that the double reflex is almost even more incredible. That in whatever state we're in, we kick off that wall to be grace givers, generous livers, with the ability in our own little bit of the city tomorrow to overwhelm it with what the world needs, love and grace. Lord, compelled by your compelling love, may we go to make our contribution by your Spirit to bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.